Chapter 21. I've got some more stuff I want to say, Ashton told us. Haley, I don't care if you record this part. I turned the recorder on. Espan was sitting on the ledge of the window watching us, watching all of us. Holly got up and squeezed in beside him. He moved over a bit, making space for her. Ashton slowly started unwrapping the scarf from around his neck. On one side, we could see finger marks, where someone had necked him so hard they'd left the remainder of their, oh, they had left the reminder of their own hand. I swallowed. There are a bunch of kids who aren't very nice here, Ashton said. The ones that call me Casper and Wonderbread and Ghost Boy and Pale Face and other names I don't even want to say. Amari looked up and his eyes turned to slits. Who did that to you? Ashton shrugged. Nah, man, tell me, who did that? Yeah, Tiago said. Who did that to you? Some eighth graders, Ashton whispered. I don't know them. They just do it to be stupid, for laughs. You can be stupid and laugh without hitting somebody, Amari said. That's messed up. I know. Ashton gently touched his own neck. Not like I can do something about it. It's just what happens. Like the way kids laugh at us sometimes in the cafeteria, right? We don't care. I care, Holly said. I know I shouldn't, but I do. Me too, Tiago said. I hate it. Yeah, but what if we say something? They're just going to laugh harder. Ashton was right. We were different. But most days we believed Miss Laverne when she told us how special we were, how smart, how kind, how beautiful, how tons of successful people had different ways of learning. But some days it got inside us, like now. Where'd they get you, bruh? Amari asked. Ashton shrugged. Outside the schoolyard. We all got quiet. You know how in the middle of the yard there's that huge flagpole? Ashton said. And up at the very top there's the flag? He looked at each one of us and we all nodded. Well, on the first day I got here, I stared up at that flag thinking, this is happening all over America. All over America, kids were walking into schoolyards and classrooms and the American flag was waving. All over America, kids were saying the Pledge of Allegiance, saying indivisible with liberty and justice for all. All over America, we had memorized this. But did anybody know what it meant? Nah, Amari said. Not really. Not back then. I didn't either, Ashton said. But it gave us a sameness. I stood in the schoolyard looking up at the flag, and I felt something. Not just like a new kid. Not just like a white kid, but like I was a a part of everybody running and jumping and playing all over America, not just in our schoolyard. I mean, everywhere. I know, right? Holly said. Like thousands and thousands of kids all over the country got decked out in their new school clothes and were all excited for their first day of school. Yeah, Ashton said, like that. But on my first day here, almost every kid seemed to be some shade of brown. I'd never seen so many brown and black people. His voice faltered, like he wasn't sure if he was saying it right this time. So many African-Americans and Latinos, Tiago said, don't forget us. Man, you brown, Amari said. He already mentioned you. Light brown, Holly said. Light, 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 light brown. I'm not saying anything to be racist, Ashton said. It's just what I remember. I never even thought about my color till that day. Before I even met you, Amari, it felt like everybody was staring at me. Lucky you, Holly said. How's that lucky? Because every single body in this room except you had to think about themselves that way already. Like way before now. The way you felt like you were on the outside of everything, like you weren't a part of it. 
Well, that's the way a whole lot of people feel every day. Amari and Esteban nodded. It's true, Tiago said. Like the way people sometimes look at me just because I have an accent, and like Amari with the guns, and like Esteban with his poppy, everybody. Even me, I said. The first thing people see is my hair. Then they see my skin. Then they ask, what are you? Holly said. You got the white pass, Ashton. Until now. I hear you, Ashton said. But I never asked for a white pass. You didn't have to, Holly said. But all I can say is, welcome home. Ashton looked confused until Holly smiled. You're one of us now. Ashton leaned back in his chair and, slowly, he smiled. Yeah, he said. I'm one of us now. Club us, Amari said. The membership requirements are kind of messed up, but whatever. I got a question, though, Tiago said. Why'd your family come all the way here from Connecticut, anyway? The one time my family went to Connecticut, it took us a whole bunch of hours. It was pretty, but I'm not trying to be driving for that long. And my mom wouldn't let us play video games. She was like, no, we're going to listen to audiobooks for hours. So not fair, Amari said. What are you talking about, Holly said. You like to read, Amari. You read all the time, except when you come here, then you draw. But in class, I always see you with a book. Yeah, I know that. You act like that's news. And what are you saying? I didn't say anything about reading. Telling the brother it's messed up because you can play a video game and listen to a book. You don't have to stare out the window. Those are two whole different senses. That's what's up, Tiago said. That's what I tried to tell my mom. See? Amari rolled his eyes at Holly. Miss know-it-all thinks she knows it all. But I'm with Tiago, Amari said. Why did your peeps come all the way from Connecticut to Brooklyn? When my dad lost his job in Connecticut, Ashton said, a friend he knew from college gave him a job managing a key food in Brooklyn. I didn't even know what a key food was. I guess there were some in Connecticut, but not where we lived. Welcome to Brooklyn, Amari said. We're glad you landed here. That day, I remember all of us in the ARTT room leaning in toward each other. But what is frozen in my mind, even more than that, is later the same day. Ashton, Amari, Esteban, and Tiago left the school together, walking four across, so close that their shoulders were touching. Me and Holly walked behind them, a double wall against the Neckers who were waiting right outside the schoolyard. Three tall eighth graders who glared at Ashton, but walked backward away from the six of us. Three tall eighth graders who looked from Amari to Tiago to Esteban to Ashton, then kept looking to me and Holly, then turned and walked quickly, really quickly, away from all of us. Chapter 22. The first time we saw Esteban smile, really smile again, was in December. It was because of poetry. The Thursday night before, we had gotten a letter from his father, who was still in Florida at the detention center. At least he's still in this country, Esteban said, even though he's far away. And he's okay, I said. Okay-ish, Holly said. But that's better than nothing, right? Esteban had come down from the windowsill and was sitting with us in the circle. He unfolded the letter from his father. It was written on yellow legal pad paper. Esteban handled it delicately as we all learned, as we all leaned in to look at it with him. His father's handwriting was small and careful, each letter so clear it almost looked typed. He wrote me a poem, Esteban said. He says he has time to write now. 
He said when he writes, it's like he's back in the apartment with us. Nobody can touch it, he said. We all put our hands down in our laps. Even Holly lowered her needles. That's cool with me, Amari said. Me too, I said. But can you read it to us at least? It's in Spanish, Esteban said. But I wrote an English version too, because one day I'm going to be his translator. You guys know what that is, right? We nodded, but Esteban was so excited, he explained anyway. I'm going to rewrite all of his poems in English for him, and we're going to sell books in the DR and in America, in the Dominican Republic and in America. Then Esteban cleared his throat and read, When they came for me, I lifted my hands to them, let them wrap the cuffs around my wrists. I did not fight. I did not yell. When they pressed me into the van, there were others who spoke our language, a language of sun and ocean and beauty, a language of birds and merengue. We leaned across the van toward each other and knew the same people back home. Always remember, when you are with your people, you are home. Esteban finished reading the poem and carefully put it back into his notebook. Carefully put his notebook back into his bag. I kept staring down at my hands, a stone in my throat like I'd choked to death. I saw my father's head again, getting pushed down into the police car. Was he crying when it happened? Did he look toward me? Did he know that everything was gone? I took a breath, then another. Air wasn't coming in fast enough. Haley, I heard Amari said, you okay, Red? I nodded, but kept my head down. It's beautiful, I choked out. He said he's going to write me more poems, Esteban said. He said he'll write them until we're all together again. He's a good poet, Tiago said. He reminds me of the other poet guy, the one Ms. Laverne read us, the one who wrote the poem about a blank white page or something. Alarcon, Holly said, Holly said, Francisco Alarcon. I tried to remember Alarcon, but couldn't. My head felt so heavy. Maybe this was the weight of the world people talked about. The gray ghost that took your breath and your words. How do you even remember that? Amari was saying to Holly. Because she said his name a hundred times and wrote it on the board. Jeez, how do you not remember that? Yeah, Tiago said. That guy. He's going to write me more of them, Esteban said. He promised, and I'll read them in English and Spanish because it's for both languages. That's what up, Amari said. Read those poems in all kinds of American sun. When I finally looked up, Esteban was smiling. Chapter 23. Outside, the sun is slowly sinking. I hear my uncle drag his suitcase across the floor above me as I listen to Esteban read his father's poem. His voice on the recorder is careful and clear. I wonder if he and his dad are walking along a beach together. I wonder if they're working on their books, Esteban finding the English words for his dad as he writes what he sees. Downstairs, my father has stopped playing piano. Now I hear him moving around in the kitchen, pots being pulled from cabinets, the sound of a bottle of seltzer being opened. When they came for me, I lifted my hands to them, let them wrap the cuffs around my wrists. I did not fight. I did not. Knock, knock. My uncle stands at the door, smiling, a bright orange shirt in his hand. I thought you were going to help me pack, he says. What about this thing? Stay or go? The shirt should go, but you should stay. I turn back to the window, the recorder silent now. Hales, come on, favorite niece. 
Only niece? He comes over to me, cups my chin, and gently turns my head up toward him. His eyes are gray-blue, like my father's. How long has your dad been home? Two months. How many conversations have you had with him? I shrug. We talk at dinner. My uncle shakes his head. You talk to me at dinner. You're like a dad to me, though. But I'm not him, Haley. I'm not my brother. I move my head away from his hand, play with the edge of my comforter. All the questions I can never answer, Haley, that's your guy, right downstairs. He's as afraid of you as you are of him. I don't say anything. Cousins? What? I look up at him. Don't you want some cousins to boss around? Some big-headed boy cousins or some cutie-cute baby girl cousins? What are you talking about? Sooner I get out of here, the sooner the ladies will come running. Sooner I'll find someone and get busy making you some cousins. Ugh, that's gross, I say. But I'm laughing. You're so gross, and that's so TMI. He holds up the shirt again, looks at it a second, then tosses it on my head. Keep it, he says. I bet it'll look good on you. By the time I get it off my head, he's gone back upstairs. I close my door, then turn the recorder back on, fast-forwarding. Past Holly and Tiago and Moramari. And then it's me telling my story for the first time. While my uncle packs. While my dad plays piano. My own voice in the ARTT room then. But in my room now. The thing I've never told you guys is that my dad's in prison. Chapter 24. My uncle and I had been in the car for more than an hour and were finally out of the city. The tall buildings had shrunk down into trees and long ribbons of wild, dying grass. The sun wasn't up yet, and everything looked like it had been painted in black and dark blue. Years had passed since that afternoon on the slide. A tiny scar shaped like a Z ran from my hairline down behind my right ear. I reached up and ran my finger along it. My uncle used to say being a parent meant long nights and short years. He said before anyone blinked, kids were grown up, packing their bags and moving on. But some things stayed. The scar, the memory of the day on the slide, my mother's nails, my voice on the recorder, Esteban's hug. I must have slept because when I looked out the window again, we were passing the New Pulse exit and the sun was beginning to rise over the mountains. The sky was burgundy and blue. I've only seen the sky this way driving to Malone. It seems strange that there could be so much color and beauty and then when you get to, got to Malone, everything was tan and gray and black steel bars and wire. You know they found Esteban's dad in Florida, I said, staring out the window. Who? Esteban, the guy from my class, my friend. They took his dad, Esteban. My uncle glanced at me and nodded. Oh, right. I know who Esteban is, he said. But I didn't know his dad was gone. But I thought, and then I remembered. Of course I hadn't told him. We didn't talk to anyone outside the ARTT room about the things we talked about inside it. We talked and talked and talked, but only to each other. The day before, Ms. Laverne had found the six of us sitting in the corner of the lunchroom laughing at a character Tiago was mimicking. Even Esteban had thrown his head back and cracked up. We were all huddled into one another, shoulders pressing against shoulders, Holly's legs thrown over mine. Immigration took his dad, I told my uncle slowly. Oh, geez. Haley, I had no idea. I'm so sorry. I can't believe this crap is happening right in Brooklyn. I looked at him and said, Brooklyn's part of America. I felt tired. 
Was Esteban awake? Had he gotten another poem? Did they know anything else about what was happening? On Friday, he looked like he hadn't slept. He'd kept his head down in class most of the day. I didn't know how to tell my uncle all this without getting so sad and feeling like a dumb kid who couldn't even help her friend. Hales, I'm so sorry, he said again. What next for them? What's the plan? Should I reach out to his mother? His mom is hoping some lawyers can do something, but he said she's, pa- she's packing, packing and waiting. I didn't want to talk about it anymore. It suddenly felt like I was betraying Esteban, betraying the ARTT room. My uncle was a grown-up. What did he understand about six kids talking? What did anybody besides me, Tiago, Holly, Amari, Esteban, and Ashton understand? Nothing. Nothing at all. Jeez, my uncle said again. Yeah, I said. Jeez. Outside, the farther we got into the mountains, the faster the wind rushed past the car. I leaned against the window. My uncle drove in silence. The mountains went from burgundy to pink to green and brown. The sun, as always, rose. Chapter 25. This time, when we got to Malone, my dad came down immediately and hugged me so hard. I thought my shoulder bones would crack. He and my uncle looked so much alike. No one could ever say they weren't brothers. But now my dad looked so much older. He had dark circles under his eyes and was wearing the glasses with thick black frames that he usually only put on to read. I just couldn't get myself down here last time, my dad said. I'm so sorry. I was having one of those days and it turned into the longest month of my life. I stood there listening to him. I wanted to tell him that when someone drives almost to Canada to see you, you ignore those days. You push past, you push past them. I wanted to ask him, how come I knew this as a kid and he didn't know it as a grown-up? but I didn't say any of this. I just nodded, said, it's okay. At least we're all together now, right? Because that part was true. I thought about Esteban's father being so far away from him and him not even being able to visit. I looked over at my uncle. He was standing with his hands in his pockets, his feet a little bit apart. He and my father both looked so worried and sad. I nodded and said, I get it, dad, because what if next time He didn't come down again. Or what if the car accident had taken both of my parents from me and he wasn't even here for me to be mad at? What if my uncle had been in the back seat? My dad hugged me again. His prison uniform felt the same, stiff against my cheek, familiar as daylight. I had never seen him in anything but those tan khaki pants and a tan shirt with a number on the pocket. After all those years, I should have known that number by heart. There's so much I wanted to remember so many stories, but his number wasn't one of them. The story of his number was one I'd lock away in a room and write on the door of that memory. The end.